Welcome to the broadcast of Riverside Church in Princeton, North Carolina. Riverside Church preaching Christ and Him crucified. For more information, check out our website at www.riversidefwb.com. Y'all to get distracted easy. If you would open your Bible to Revelation chapter number three tonight. Tonight's the last night we'll be in chapter number three and then we'll roll into chapter number four. If you've been with us, we've been through verse by verse, chapter by chapter. There were a couple of weeks there that we didn't actually stay in Revelation, but it gave a little bit of variety. But tonight we'll look at chapter number three before we go into four. We'll look at the church in Laodicea. The church in Laodicea, if you have studied and you have looked at any of the churches, you will know that this church is, has the, the reputation of being lukewarm. Lukewarm means tempted. It means, it means that it's not cold and it's not hot. And we're going to examine tonight what Jesus says to these, this church here. Tonight, if you grab your Bible, there should be one in your pew. I would encourage you to open your Bible and follow along because if you go to a church where the preacher does not open his Bible, you're in the wrong church. That would be a tall tale sign. But I like the music. The coffee's good. Those are not tall tale signs of a good church. Yeah, you can tell them I said it. A, a good sign of a good godly church is one where they open the scriptures and they study them together. If you want to know what I'm preaching next week, simply read ahead and you'll know exactly where we'll be. And we have our study plan for the year already here in Revelation. Those who come on Sunday mornings know we'll be in Luke for the next two years. If you come on Wednesday night, you know we'll be in 2 Samuel until we get to the end of 2 Samuel and we go into Chronicles. You know where we are. There's, not enough, there, there's, there's enough material to fill up 10,000 lifetimes to study God's Word. I guess that's why eternity lasts forever because it takes that long to figure out anything about God because we're here looking dimly through a glass, like through a tinted window at His glory. And it already takes our breath away. Imagine eons after eons, millions and millions of years, we will barely even get a grasp of how great and wonderful Jesus is. Amen, somebody. As we look here, if you got your Bible, we choose to believe your Bible because it is a reliable collection of historical documents written by eyewitnesses during the lifetime of other eyewitnesses. It reports supernatural events that took place in fulfillment of prophecy. It's divine, not human in origin. We believe in the five solas here at Riverside. We believe in we believe in Scripture alone. We believe in faith alone. We believe in Christ alone. We believe in grace alone. We believe in God alone receives the glory. So tonight, if you would open your Bible, we look at Revelation chapter number 3, verse 14. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea, write, The words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. There's a lot of theology in verse number 14, but before we get into the theology and unpack, we got to know who's writing it. Of course we know who's writing it. It's John the Revelator. He was the youngest of the disciples who grew to be old. At this point, he's in his 90s. He's in an isolated community. He's on the island of Patmos. They tried to boil him alive, but he's a biblical cockroach. He would not die. And even though he's in pain, he pins the the book of Revelation, not Revelations, because there's only one Revelation, not Revelations. Revelations means there's many revelations, that there's many openings, there's many revealings of God. We only need one and it's in your hand. We don't need any new books. We don't need the Book of Mormon. We don't need the, the, the Gospel of Thomas. We don't need the Quran. We don't need anything else. We got all we need right here. Amen, preacher. I want you to know who wrote it. That was Jesus because he tells us that he's the, he's the words of the Amen. The faithful and true witness. The beginning of God's creation. But he's writing to Laodicea. We must know who Laodicea is. a city that was found about 40 miles outside of Ephesus. This church was likely started by Epirus, who was one of uh, Paul's converts while he was teaching at Ephesians. You can find that in Colossians chapter 1, verse 7. While he was preaching, this guy was converted. He goes from Ephesus to the church of Laodicea and he plants a church. He probably went there and said, there ain't no good churches here, let's start one. As he goes there, he establishes the, the belief system that Jesus is God in a city that's very pagan. A city where the city of Zeus and there was a local deity there. They all, you must understand that the city was surrounded by the temples that all of the lifestyles, anything that took place went around the, the religious system of the city. 
So whenever this young man be planted a church there, it would disrupt the, the system. It would disrupt the, the fluidity, fluidity, fluidity of the city. It would cause troubles and strife within the city because, oh, you're a Christian? Oh, you don't worship this God? Now we got issues. For Laodicea was known for three things. It was known for the gold and the wealth of the city. This place was very wealthy. It, it was very commercialized. There was, a, there was a, a great market where they did a lot of commodities and trade. It was also known for, uh, also known for uh, the ISAV. There was some medicine there here in this city. And they were known for great exports of some very, very lucrative, expensive medicine that would go into your eyes and into your ears. And the, the saying was that it would heal you, but it won't. It, it didn't. We'll, we'll get to that in a moment. And they're also very known by their wool trade as they would raise a lot of lambs and sheep. And they would sell the wool and the commodities. And all that shows up in the letter that Jesus speaks to Laodicea. However, this city, even though it's 40 miles in, it was very, very far away from any kind of water source. This city had to pipe in its water through aqueducts and also troughs that came out of the mountains that were coming to the city. By the time it left the mountains where the cool water was, by the time it rolled through the aqueduct and get to its sort, get to the place where it's going to end up, when it gets there, it's dirty and it's room temperature and it's quiet. Nasty and putrid that whenever you would put it in your mouth, if you weren't used to that water, you would spit it out. That's why in the text you'll see where Jesus says, you're lukewarm, I will spit you out. It's much like Jesus to speak the language that we could understand. That's what he does when he writes to the church of Laodicea. He speaks in a way they will understand. God in all his, his, his infinity, he's infinite in all his wisdom. He lowers himself to an infant to be flesh and bone so we can relate to him. A Jesus who cried, a Jesus who wept, a Jesus who bled, we are able to relate to. We are not, related to, we're not, be, we're not able to relate to a, a plastic Jesus who was so holy, who never laughed, who never cried. We can't relate to someone like that. But a Jesus who lived, a Jesus who died. And a Jesus who lives again, we can relate to. It's not that we got to reach God. Because in the book of Genesis, they built a tower called the Tower of Babel. And the leader, his name was Nimrod. That tells you anything. He, Nimrod, it means idiot. He built a tower to reach heaven. His, his aim was to climb into heaven and knock God, off the, uh, knock God off the throne and establish himself the king of the universe. And we saw how that happened. God comes down. That's how it works. God comes to us. He came down and for their safety stopped the building of the Tower of Babel. It must, it must frustrate mankind to think that our arms are too short to box with God. He's God and we are not. And if God does not come to us, where are we? What, what can we do? He must come to us. And He does. Through the incarnation of Jesus Christ, we call Him a down-to-earth deity. A God-man in the flesh. We spoke more about that this morning at, um, at the River Hero as we spoke about the book of Luke. But we're looking here at this Jesus now who is eternal. He, he was before all things. He was before anything. He's held, he holds all things together by the power of His Word. And now He's writing to His own church in Laodicea. We, we know that Paul never visited Laodicea. However, he is he's directly connected by the working. And whenever we labor and we do so into the glory of God, no matter what it is, no matter what we do, we do it for His glory. We don't do it to get a bigger paycheck, to get a bigger house. We do it for His glory. So Paul establishes and preaches the gospel and it spreads. That tells me that the gospel is bigger than any man, bigger than Paul, bigger than any apostle. Jesus... Jesus don't need you, but he'll use you. He don't need you. It's not all teetering on you and your faith, your faithfulness. Jesus is faithful even if you are not. God is faithful even if you are faithless. Amen. Amen. This city was known for the banking and the wool and the medicine. Now we look in verse 14. I want you to take notice. He speaks to the angel of the church in Laodicea. If you remember back at the beginning of chapter number 2, he holds the leaders of the churches in the palm of his hand. That's encouraging to me. And it's encouraging to those who are stepping up into leadership that they're in the palm of his hand. That's the safest place to be. Amen. Amen. 
If you want to be safe, come. Come to the arms of Jesus. He'll hold you in the palm of his hand. And the Bible tells us that nothing will snatch us from his hands. Amen. Amen. That's good to me. That is real extra good to me. Y'all, it's just extra good to me. I'm having a moment. That's good to me. Here, it says the words of the amen. Somebody asked me one time, it might have been John Michael, I'm not sure. He asked me, what does amen mean? We always say it. What does it mean? It's a Hebrew word that means so be it, or it means that's the truth. Or if you're millennial facts, that's what they say now. That's what the kids are saying. <laughs> right, Tyler? <laughs> Kyle, Kyle. I see I did it again. The, the facts, facts. They say that's facts right there. But I want you to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. For all the promises of God find their yes in Him. That's why it is through Him that we utter our amen to God for His glory. Now, what does that mean? That's Paul writing to the church in Corinthians. To the church in Corinthians. He says that Jesus is the answer to every question that's ever asked in the Old Testament. The questions that were asked in the Old Testament is, God, will you be faithful to us? God, will you, will you be with us and shepherd us? God, will you, will you reconcile all things? God, will you redeem us, hold on to us, and keep us? God, will you not forget me? Jesus is the amen. He means, yes, I, I, I will be with you. I will not forsake you. I will, I will watch over you. I will shepherd you. I will keep you. Jesus is our yes and amen. Amen. We see He is the promises all wrapped up in one. And one person, everything. All we need is wrapped up in Him. We see that He is the faithful and true witness. Now, we, in a time where we can't trust the government, we, we can't trust our neighbors, we can't, sometimes we can't even trust the church. You can't trust your gut and your instincts. We need something to tether us and anchor us. We need something that's just true. In a time where people don't know which bathroom to use, they feel fluid in their gender. They, they're so confused. I don't know what to do. That's really confused. When they don't know what their purpose are, and what the purpose is, what the motivation is to get up and breathe again, to put one foot in front of another. What's the reason? What's the point? Jesus calls Himself faithful and true witness. When people let me down and tell me lies, Jesus is true. When it's not what it really seems, He's really true. Did you know there's some things that God can't do? What? What can He do? He can't lie. Woo, somebody's listening. Finally, somebody. It took five years. Somebody finally got it. He, he can't lie. God can't lie. He can't lie. That's exactly right. He can't sin. That's the, if he lies, he sins, then he ceases to be God. So he will not go outside his nature. His nature is being truthful. So out of all of creation, he's the most one you should trust the most. God cannot lie. He will not lie. It's against his nature. So trust him the most. Yeah, I know you trust your mama. I got it. Yeah. Trust your brother. You trust your Smith and Wesson. Yeah, it's just a gun. Trust Jesus. He is the true and faithful witness. True. My Jesus won't lie to me. He won't bend the truth. He won't give promises and make a promise to me and back out on them. He don't write IOUs. Oops, sorry, I dropped the ball there. He's a true and faithful witness. Can we just stop here and marinate on that just for a minute? When people let us down, covenants and promises are broken. People write checks they cannot keep. Jesus does not. He is true. I tell you what, that makes your pillow softer at night. Amen, brother. It says a faithful witness. What does that mean? It says, no, it's a faithful and true witness. On judgment day. You will stand before God condemned. They're going to pull out all the dirt on you. Oh, let me go and tell you. They're going to list it. And if you go to any correctional facility, you go through any of the cells, the guys are leaning against the bar and say, I didn't do it. I didn't do it. They say they didn't do it, but they guilty. They guilty. And the only thing they like is an alibi or a witness to say, I saw them. They were with me over here. They didn't do that. All they needed was a true witness. On judgment day, the allegations will be read off against you and me. Yeah, the preacher too. 
But Jesus will testify on my behalf. A true and faithful witness. I bore his sins. The wrath that was meant for them is on me. I paid the debt that's owed to you, O Holy Father. We need this true and faithful witness. Oh, it just gets sweeter as we go on, don't it? It gets more grand. It keeps growing as we understand how great and wonderful Jesus is. Like the song says, it gets sweeter as the days go by. My walk with Jesus gets better and better because I see myself and how much I need a Savior. He is a faithful and true witness. And then we see the beginning of God's creation in verse 14. The last part of verse 14, the beginning of God's creation. There was a, a, a great heresy that was running rampant in Smyrna and, 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 and even in Ephesus that, there was a, that Jesus was a created being. Much like the sun and the moon that He was created. Much like us that He was formed and created. They would take Scripture and twist it and say that Jesus is a created being. However, we know that Jesus is not a created being because Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 through 20, if you want to write it down, you can go look at it later. He is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn of all creation. Now when He says firstborn... That's a way for you to understand that He is the source, that He is the beginning. He is the one who created. He is the, 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 the exclamation point. All are tethered together by Him, the firstborn of all our creation. For by Him all things were created. That means He created everything. In the beginning was the God. When you read that, it was God in the beginning. You read that in Genesis, that means Elohim. That is plural in the Trinity. There was Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit in the book of Genesis. That means Jesus created everything. He's the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whereby thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. What? All things were created through Him and for Him. That means that that little rocket man over in uh, North Korea, the little crazy one with a haircut, God created him for himself. I know he, you think he's a little crazy. He might blow everybody up, but it's for his glory. God created him. He created, he created the Russian guy over in Russia, who, Van Putin or whatever his name is. He created Biden. He put every dignitary and every throne in place because it was made for him, through him, by him. He's God. He's in control. So why do you fret? Why do you worry? I don't like my manager. God put him there. And if he don't like it, he'll put you there. Mm. All things were created by him, whether thrones or dominions. That means the nation's borders were created by him. Or rulers, your managers, whoever you manage, your rulership over your children were created through Him and by Him. Authorities were created through Him and by Him. The local civil government, the rulership over your household, deacons and elders over a church, a pastor, people who look out for your soul were placed by Him. Rulers, whether it's the sheriff or the popo, were put in His place for Him and by Him. And He is before all things, is what it says in verse 17. And in Him all things hold together. He created everything for Himself. It holds it together. That's our Jesus. He's the head of the body of the church. I want you to understand that there's not two heads here at Riverside. I am not the head of this church. If there's a two-headed being, it's a monster. They got two heads. Jesus is the head of the church. If he sees fit to find another preacher, see fit, Lord. You, you speak, O oh Lord. Your servant hears. Does he reign over your household or do you call the shots? Does he reign over your body? Does he reign over your thoughts and your mind? Does he reign over what your hands find to do? Does he reign over what your feet and where they go? Yes, he does. Either you submit to him or you rebel against him. But then again, he's still God. He, and He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. He is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. 
Well, if He's the firstborn, there will be others. Those who trust in Him will be born again from the dead. Thank you, Jesus. And everything that He might pre be preeminent, that means that He's the reason. You know, we hear it around Christmas, He's the reason for the season. He's the reason. He's the reason you're breathing. He's the reason for anything. Secular or sacred, it don't matter. There are no borders. He says, well, I'll, I reign till right here. I reign until we get to the threshold of the door of the church. He reigns over it all. Jesus is king over everything. Wait a minute, I ain't never heard about that. He's even king over the crack house, the casinos. He's, he's king over the, the Senate and Congress. They say they're the highest court in the land. Not necessarily. Jesus holds court. He's above them. Jesus reigns over everything. Yes, we stand around, we pledge allegiance to the flag. I am an American, yes. But most importantly, I pledge allegiance to Him above anything else, even over what my government says. I give unto Caesar what's Caesar's, but give unto Christ what's Christ's. Amen. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, verse 19. It says all of the fullness of God, all His power, all His knowledge dwelled in Christ. And through Him... To reconcile unto himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. We see that Jesus reigns over everything. Not a future, not, he's not that he reigns tomorrow. One day, Jesus reigns. He reigns now. He reigns now, even over his church and even over the pagan. Jesus reigns. Amen. So we see who's writing to who and what he's saying. The beginning of God's creation. Here's what he says to his church in verse 15. I know your works. He says that to all the churches. I know your works. But when he says that to the other churches, he said, I know your good stuff, what you did. I know the, the hardships you're going through, the tribulations that you're facing. He says, I know your works. But here he says, I know your dirt. Here's what you're doing. You are neither cold nor hot. Would you... Would you that you be either hot or cold? He says, I wish you were hot or cold. In my house, we got this marble table. It is heavy. I don't ever move it. If I do, I call the deacon to do it. He moves it for me. But it's mighty heavy. The thing is, when you touch this marble table, it's mighty cold. Because it's not alive. It's a stone. And the thing about stones is they don't produce any heat. They're just cold. Here, this church is neither cold nor hot. It's somewhere in the middle of the road. They hear the gospel, but they're not moved by it. They just stay in the middle of the road. They don't want any controversy. Let's just, let's just all have peace. Don't, nobody get mad. Don't, don't get hot and zealous for Jesus. But we ain't really cold and we're rebelling against Him and denying His Lordship. We're kind of in the middle. We're indifferent about Jesus. That's what this church is going through. They hear the gospel, but it don't change them. They're neutral. They're like Switzerland. They are not on sides. I'm not on heaven's side, and I'm not on, I'm not on the hell side. I'm kind of in the middle. I'm a free agent, unaffiliated. That's what I am. This is not a time to be a free agent. It's not a time to be unaffiliated. If you're lukewarm, what does he say to them? I will spit you out of my mouth. He's pulling from the culture of the city. And Laodicea, if you got their water after coming through the aqueducts, coming from, it should be crisping, crisping cool coming from the mountains or the hot springs from the city nearby as they were pumped into the city. By the time they got to the city, it was lukewarm and nasty. So Jesus is speaking to the church there. He says, you're lukewarm, you're useless. You can't even thaw a stake in you. You're just, you're not hot or cold. You don't boil and you don't freeze. You're neither one. What good are you? In Colossae, they had cold, refreshing mountain streams that were piped in. In Heropolis, there were hot springs that were natural there. They had no zeal. They had no hotness. They were not on fire for Jesus, but they were not openly rejecting Jesus. Middle of the road. In Matthew chapter 7, 21 through 23, if you're taking notes, write that down. In Matthew chapter 7, 21 through 23, not everyone who says unto me, Lord, Lord, will enter to the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Not everybody gets to go to heaven is what Jesus says. Not everybody who even says they're a Christian who are just, who profess it. I'm a Christian. 
But the ones who do the will of God, the ones who do, notice it's what you do. It's not what you say. You can say I'm a Christian all day long while you're living it, a life of sin, debauchery, and hell. I hear people say it all the time. They say they're a Christian, but they don't have the fruits to show they're a Christian. It's as simple as, it's just as simple. You can do whatever you want. Live however you want. But if you follow Christ and you serve Jesus, you got to do what He says. I can't get any, any more plainer than that. You can do whatever you want. Live however you live. Sleep with whoever. Do what you want. Snort what you want. Drink what you Watch what you want. Say what you want. Kill who you want. But if you belong to Jesus, you do what He says. It's not those who say, Lord, Lord, who will enter into the kingdom of heaven. There's a lot of people who profess Christ. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? And do many mighty works in your name? And Jesus says, then I will declare to you, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. This church... They're neutral about Jesus. They're not on fire and zealous about Christ. I tell you, if they knew Jesus, they would be changed. They would not be indifferent about Christ. They would be zealous and on fire about Jesus. Or they would be openly rebellious about Him. I don't want anything to do with Him. I don't want that. I, I want the opposite. I want to do what I want. Are you Laodicea today? Are you indifferent? Are you zealous for Jesus? Are you in open rebellion against Him? 2 Timothy chapter 3, 1-7 Paul writes to Timothy and he says, But understand this in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self. Did you know there was a time when people would pull out their wallets and show pictures of their families? Oh, there's my little baby. There's, there's Rico Jr. Look at Cameron. Look, and they show it in their wallets, pictures of the family. But now, we, we got wallets still, most of us, but we got cell phones now. But the number one thing that's in cell phones is selfies. We're taking pictures of ourselves smiling in front of places for sketty, and we're just smiling. Look at this picture here. And we put it on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, pictures of our... It's called a selfie. We made up a word for it. It's a picture of ourselves because we're self-absorbed. Where the family used to be all in our wallets. Now there's pictures of ourselves because we worship ourselves. Don't say, preacher, you be reminding me. I do it too. I've done it too. It just shows you the signs of the time where people are absorbed with ourselves. That's why I went, no lie. When I first came to Riverside, I said, this church ain't for you. It's for Jesus. Some people got mad and didn't come anymore. Can you believe it? I laugh about it now, but good. Let them go to a church that's for them, that's all about them, that, that will make them, because you're a member, you get these benefits. That's what church members want. They want benefits. People to rub their feet and wipe their noses. But this church ain't for you, it's for Jesus. It's to bring glory to His name. And the last days, there will come times of difficulty. Yeah, I tell you it's difficult to proclaim His name. People are so full of themselves, you can never tell them about Jesus because they serve themselves. Amen. For people will be lovers of self, but then they're lovers of money. That's what happens in Laodicea because we'll read, and, and they think they're rich because of the economy there. The war. The war, oh, there's nothing like Laodicea. war is great. There's nothing like the money that we're stacking up in this church in Laodicea. There's nothing like the medicine we have. No one can touch us. More and more advanced. The lovers of money. Proud and arrogant is what it says. Abusive. Disobedient to their parents. Ungrateful. Notice the word ungrateful is in this text. That they're not even glad for the blessings God gave them. They're always counting other people's blessings. Never content. Never just glad to have a roof over their head and a place to lay their head. That's more than Jesus even had. Mm, I'm preaching better than y'all acting. But notice here it says, unholy. We don't like to talk about unholy because that gets all in our cornflakes. Oh, we can come in and fake it. Speak to Christianese. Praise the Lord, brother. And kiss babies and all that. Shake hands. 
We can look holy, but God knows if we're truly holy. Unholiness looks like disobedience to parents, they're ungrateful, abusive, and arrogant. Proud. Lover of money. A lover of self. Heartless and un unappeasable. Slanderous. A slanderer is someone who drags somebody's name to the mud. No matter if it's true or not, they slander them in front of other people. And if you're doing that, that's called gossip. And you're doing the job of the devil. If you're a slanderer, you say, hey, you see what so-and-so did? Let me tell you. Let me, let me, you, see what it, you see what he smell like? You, you know what he's doing? Slandering. That's the opposite of holiness. Heartless and unappeasable. Without self-control. I heard one preacher say, Preacher, don't never, don't never get in people's business. Don't talk about their bedrooms, what they do in there. Don't talk about what they eat or drink. Don't talk about what they do in the kitchen. What's the point? It's all of Christ or not Christ. He reigns over even our, our self-control that we just don't lose our mind and flip out and hit somebody because we can't control ourselves. That we can't control ourselves at the buffet and we eat so much that our, our calories shoot up. We develop diabetes and we get sick because we abuse our bodies and we eat our feelings. Self-control! If, if you can't drink just one alcoholic beverage, don't drink any. Not that I endorse any of it. I'm just saying. Self-control. If you can't just smoke one cigarette, don't smoke any. Self-control. He gives us the ability to control ourselves. Otherwise, we're unleashed and we wreck ourselves and everyone around us. That's the opposite of holiness. If you can't control your tongue, don't start wagging it. If you can't control your anger, don't start thinking about those things that make you angry. Self-control. They're brutal. They're not loving good. They're treacherous. Reckless is one of the words here. Reckless. That means they do things and don't think about the consequences. Reckless. God is not reckless. God is holy. He thinks about what He does. He has it planned out. Swollen with conceit is what it says. That is the opposite of holiness. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. God, I'd rather have this sin than Christ. I'd rather have that. That's really what we say when we sin. In verse number 5, if you want to remember where I'm reading from, is 2 Corinthians chapter 3, 1-7. But verse 5, Having the appearance of godliness, but denying His power. That means looking to part, looking like a Christian. Saying things that sound Christian-y but not serving Christ. Being a hypocrite. Looking the part. You're neither hot nor cold. You just look the part. You're in the middle of the road. He tells us to avoid such people. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdening them with sins and lead astray by vicious passions, always learning and never able to arrive at the knowledge of truth. That's what Paul told Timothy. And that's what Jesus is telling this church. I know your works, that you're neither hot nor cold. In verse 16, so because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you from my mouth. To put it in King James lingo or the old school, back in, uh, I think it's 1599, the Geneva Bible, he says, I will vomit you from my mouth. Have you ever been laboring and someone gives you a cool drink of water, it's refreshing. Or have you ever had congestion and sickness and someone gives you some warm water and it soothes your throat? Those things are beneficial. God is saying to this church, you are not beneficial to me whatsoever. I will spit you from my mouth. To be a little vulgar, that means He will go and spit you out of His mouth. Away with you. You're good for nothing. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 16, Peter is writing to the believers. He says, Since it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. God is speaking to His congregation, speaking to His believers to say, I'm holy, so you be holy. 
In my family, there are attributes in my family that run. It might be a nose. And just like in your family, there are certain jaw lines or ears. Or it might be a temper. It might be a way you speak that runs through a family. That you can say, hey, I know you're related to so-and-so because I see the familiarity between relatives. But in the household of God, how do we know who's God's? By those who are holy. No amens. But it still is true. Usually when we preach on holiness, there are no amens because everybody examines themselves. But believe me, it pierces going out as well as coming in. I must walk holy. Oh, yay. He is holy, so I'm to be holy. What does holy look like? It looks like Jesus. Does that television show make you more like Jesus? Does this conversation make you more like... Does this relationship make you more like Jesus? Does this book make you more like Jesus? Does your free time make you more like Jesus? Well, Dad, preacher, you're getting rid of all my hobbies. Well, you must not know Jesus well enough to be satisfied to be more like Him. You're lukewarm. The closer you get to the fire... The hotter you get, the more zealous you get because you know Him better. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13-16 through 16, Therefore prepare your minds for action. Notice it begins in your mind. You said in your mind, I'm not for resolutions. I know it's a new year. We make plans. I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. I, I'd rather you repent and trust in Jesus. That's a better R word. Therefore prepare your mind. Set your mind on what the Word says. I'm going to do this. I'm going to serve Him. Being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that's brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as He has called you as holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. In my thoughts, I'm to be holy. In my free time, I'm to be holy. In my church attendance, I'm to be holy. In my conversation, I am to be holy. In my scrolling on my phone, I am to be holy. Live in such a way that anybody can come by and pick your phone up and scroll through it without you cringing. Live in such a way to know that God sees you even if you lock your phone and nobody can see into your phone. He sees into your heart. Leviticus chapter 19 verse 2 Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I am the Lord your God. I am holy. God is holy. We see that the church in Laodicea is not holy. They say in verse 17, For you say, I am rich and I have prospered and need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pliable, Poor, blind, and naked. And a church that blags on the community says, Oh, we got gold, we got bankers, we got wool, we got our medicine that nobody else can touch. Jesus says to you, You ain't all that. You say you're rich and you're prospered and have nothing. You have no needs. You're comfortable. Do you want to know why you come across troubles and trials and tribulations? It's to bring you closer to Jesus. I want you to imagine a life that you never have any trials, never have any hang-ups, never have any struggles. You wouldn't cry out to Jesus. Let's be honest. You'll be in a cushion, plush life. That's why Jesus says in this life you will have many trials and tribulations. But don't get overwhelmed. I've overcome them all. It's crazy that the God of all creation must send troubles our way just so He can hear from us. Jesus, help me in this situation. Don't let this overwhelm me. Don't let it rule over me. Don't let it put its chains on me and become my God and slave me. Set me free. Redeem me. Hold me. Lord, help me with this co-worker. Help me with this family member. Help me with my mind that's fallen and broken. Heal me. Redeem me. Steady me, Lord Jesus. Anything that pushes you into the throne room of grace is a mercy. So even our trials, even the bad days... It's still made for our good. Amen. Look at God. Look at God. Look, look at what He's doing. Look. But you say, I'm rich and I have prospered and I need nothing. Not realizing you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind and naked. First, they need to admit it. They ain't all that. 
They don't have it all together. They boast in their, their carnal means. Our, our building is beautiful. They think that they don't need anything. They think that they're healthy, wealthy, and wise. But Jesus says, you ain't. In verse 11, I counsel you, or I beg you, or I plead with you to buy from me gold refined by fire. Let me tell you the real thing. I know you got a big bank account. Many churches believe that if they got a big bank account, they're cushioned, they can take any kind of economical crisis that comes their way. And then they stop praying. We're not called to have a big bank account. We're called to preach the gospel. Okay. Amen. Okay, whatever. So that you may be rich. Get the real thing. Even if you're standing in rags, is what he tells Laodicea, you're rich beyond your wildest dreams. It's so good to me. I don't know what's wrong with y'all, but I'm getting it. And with white garments so that you may be clothed yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. I know you might be wearing designer label clothes is what he's saying, Laodicea, but I'll give you robes of righteousness. Don't get so caught up in Gucci and the designer clothings. But when you're clothed in righteousness because of Jesus' goodness, it don't matter what I wear on this old frame. I belong to Him. When He looks at me, He don't look at the labels and say, Oh, that's come from Walmart. He must not be nothing. Let me tell you, God will take the ordinary and do extraordinary things with for His glory because He, he didn't come into a church and get all the, the, the nobles. When he, became, when he came and walked the earth, when He got the twelve disciples, He didn't get senators from Rome. He didn't get princes or kings. He got a tax collector, a couple of fishermen, and some crazy zealous guys who were nationalists brought them together and they turned the world upside down. They didn't have a penny in their name and God used them. Come on. Amen. If you want to get down to the bottom line, when the church reports in, they, don't, they should, yeah, we're going to talk about how much money's in the bank. And we got to do that because, yeah, budgets and all that. But really, what really lights my fire is hey, there's people at the Hope Center whose lives are being changed. Now, uh, we had an event here, people were at the altar crying out to God, and He, he showed up and showed out. That's what matters to me. And I hope that's what matters to Riverside. Yeah. Oh, I know there's going to be reports. That's good. I'm glad there's some money in the bank. But let's spend it for His glory. We, it ain't no insurance policy. I ain't, I'm not saying that I'm just going to toss it all to the wind. Preachers going crazy. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that we're clothed in righteousness. We have refined gold found in heaven. Jesus is our treasure. Yeah. Notice what He says about the medicine. And the salve to anoint your eyes that you may see. I want you to know that it's all a scam. Here in Laodicea, they had some mountains right around the, the warm springs of the city over. And some of the mountains had some, a, a, an off color in the clay. And what they did is they took spikenard or nard. And they mixed the clay with that good smelling perfume. And they bottled it up and sold it all around. And they said it's good for your eyes. It makes your eyes healthy. Put it in your ears. It'll open up your ears. It'll heal your ears. And it was all a fad. It was a fraud. It wasn't true. People were buying it by the truckloads. And it was a scam. But Jesus tells them, come and I'll open your eyes and your ears. I'll clothe you with righteousness. He says, I'll be your treasure. In Smyrna, that church was poor and ragged and broke. But he did not criticize them in their tribulations. He's criticizing the big church who sits there comfortable while the world around them grow indifferent because they're indifferent. That means they can take it or leave it. They can miss church. No problem. I don't care. I'll, miss it. I'll get church next week. But those who are zealous and on fire for Christ, oh, i got to go to church. I'll run there. I'll ride a skateboard if i got I want to hear about it. I want to hear how he died for a wretch like me. A thug like me. Someone who deserves not hell, but hell, hell. The dirty part of hell. I got to hear about a Jesus like that. I just got to. I hope the flames here in the pulpit cause sparks to fall into the pew and you get on fire for Jesus. I don't want you to be indifferent about Christ. If you're indifferent about Jesus, it's because He ain't done nothing for you. Yeah, He ain't died for my sins. What's He done lately? What's He done lately? Draw your next breath. He did that. It was Him. Amen. 
All things are held together by the power of his word. It was Jesus. It's been Jesus. You just didn't know it or you're denying it. He's telling this church, come to me because you're really poor, blind, and naked. When we finally admit that we ain't getting to heaven on our performance, it ain't because how good we are, but how good he is. That's the only way. He says that he'll clothe you and he'll hide that shame of your nakedness. Nakedness means you ain't got enough and you're exposed. Remember when we started, he's the true and faithful witness. He'll stand before God and he'll cover you. Some of y'all are depending on your works, your volunteer hours. Some of you are depending on your church attendance and your knowledge of Scripture to save you. But it won't and it can't. Only Jesus will save. I know it's 7 o'clock, but give me a minute. He says in verse 19, Those who I love I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Verse 19 tells me that this type of preaching is needed in the church. Because he says, if I love you, I reprove you. I love my boys, so they ain't going to act a certain type of way. They ain't just going to say what they want, however they want to anybody. There's a certain standard that I love, I love them, so I'm not going to let them. I love them too much to, just to be crazy. Amen. Jesus loves you too much to allow you to call your own shots. Amen. You, you get what I'm saying? He loves you too much to let you do whatever you want. Like I said, either you serve Jesus or you do what you want. It's that simple. You serve another God, either yourself, drugs, alcohol, comfort, entertainment. You can serve that or you serve Jesus. It's that simple. No, it ain't. It's a comfort. No, it's not. He says, who I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Zealous means be fervent, be hot, be on fire. You're saying, well, I'm indifferent to God. I'm not on fire to God. You ain't close to Him. Some of us like to be at the back of the herd. Yeah, Jesus is up there. I'm kind of in the back. So if I feel like I can go this way and He's going out, I can do that way. Nobody won't say nothing. I ain't that close to Him. Maybe He's not precious to you. Maybe you don't even want to be like Him. Maybe you don't want to serve Him. But there's some of us who are under His feet. You ever been around somebody's house and they got that little foo-foo dog always under your feet? Get out of the way. You want to kick Him, but you don't. But they're all under your feet. Be that little dog. Be up under Jesus. Where are we going now, Jesus? Oh, hey, can I sing to you, Jesus? Are we going this way, Jesus? I'm right with you, Jesus. Whatever you want me to do, Jesus, I'm here, Jesus. Are you at the back of the pack? Yes. It's hard to hold hands with Jesus and dance with the devil. Choose this day who you'll serve. Go ahead and decide right now. I'm going to serve Jesus. You can serve you all day. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. In verse 20. If anyone hears my voice, opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Putting this in context. I know people have used this for salvation. But putting in context, Jesus is speaking to his church. The church that bears his name. He says... Let me in. He's talking to those who are in the church. Let me in your church. Talk about me. Sing about me. Pray to me. Did you know there are some churches that don't even open their Bible? I know it's hard to believe, but they don't even open their Bible. Some preachers preach out of the books they wrote themselves. They'll open, well, I wrote this, I remember. They'll preach on that. They'll give TED Talks, inspirational speeches, give you cliches and cookie-cutter sermons that don't mean anything. Keep all your sweet cliches. They ain't going to save me. Tell me about Jesus who died for a wretch like me. Amen. Jesus saying, I'm knocking. This is the knock, the door. This is, he's knocking on the door to this church with this letter. Let me in your church. Let me save. Let me reprove. Let me correct. I do you no honor and no goodness to stand up here and patty cake with you and say Jesus is okay with your sins. I don't do you any good. I'm like a, a surgeon who finds a lump in your body and I joke about it. Oh, that's no big deal. And I have a, a clown nose on and I tell jokes the whole time. While you have a cancerous tumor in your body that will wreck you and kill you by the end of the day. All the while having the solution right there on the counter. You say, that's a despicable person to do that. I want to, on that day, stand before Jesus and He says, well done, well done, my good and faithful servant. Whether you like it or not, right. 
preach the gospel, preacher, whether it fills the room up or clears it out. Jesus saves sinners. You can decide, I'm going to do what I want to do. Are you going to be a doulos? You'll be a slave. That's the Greek word, a slave to Jesus. You'll be a slave to something. But come to the one who's kind and gentle, who's forgiving, who won't wound you, but heal your wounds. Who will clear your eyes and not sell you something that's false and fake. Come and test him. Come find out. Is he one who sticks closer than a brother? Find out. Find out if he'll ever pull the rug out from under you. If you pull the rug out from under you, it's because you need to be flat on your back looking up at him because you're going the wrong way. Because even when he wounds you, it's for your good. Romans 8, 28. All things work towards good for those who love Christ. Even if bad comes my way, it's for my good. Even if my body gets sick, it's so I will be in the image of Christ and I cry out to him and pray to him. All things work towards good for those who love Christ. Wait a minute, preacher. What do you mean? When I was betrayed back in the day, or I was done wrong, or somebody laid hands on me in a certain type of way and they shouldn't have done it. Somebody walked out on me, broke me. It's still for your good. For those who love Christ. If you don't love Christ, do what you want. That's just, just do what you want. That's what we spoke about. Well, he'll turn you over to your sins. Somebody, this is the last sermon you'll listen to. And you're going to go and do whatever you want. But somebody's going to adhere and answer that door. And Jesus will walk in and say, this has already been mine, but now you acknowledge it and you serve me. He says, be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door. Be zealous. And repent. Call out your sins by name and repent to Him. And verse 21, The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my Father on His throne. Verse 21 tells me that we get to reign with Him. Verse 22, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. If you got a blood-tipped ear tonight, I mean, if you're hearing me spiritually, you can hear what I said and look at it from a carnal point of view. Well, this guy's crazy. But if you hear the Word of God speaking to you tonight and you need to repent with a zealous repentance, God, here I am. I rend my heart before you. There's a scripture that says, don't rend your clothing. That means don't rip your clothing and expose yourself in front of everybody. But rend your heart. That means rip open your heart before God and say, here I am, wounds and all. My rebellion, everything I've done, I'm exposed before you. Here I am. Will you have me? Not, I accept you. God already reigns. We've already established that. What you're saying is, God, here I am. Will you have me? I'm a rebel. I've done what I wanted to do. Lived however I want. I called my own shots. But will you have me? I want you to know that you can go down into the pits of hell and interview people. And never will you find somebody who will say, I went to Jesus, but He wouldn't have me. Never will you see that. So whoever you are, no matter how wretched you are, what you've done, where you've been, what you said, what you plan on doing, Jesus forgives sinners because that's all there is. Amen. Amen. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father, thank you tonight as we delivered your word. Lord, I don't want to be accused of being lukewarm. I don't want to be lackluster. I want to come with fire and passion when I speak about my Jesus. So Father, I want the flames to 